In John chapter 4, Jesus describes the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now for the next few minutes, stay tuned to worship in spirit and truth with Pastor Jeff Scoggin. We are working our way through the Bible. And I think the people who read the Bible can be divided into two groups when it comes to the Psalms. Those people who dearly love the Psalms. And then those people who maybe are a little bit indifferent to the Psalms. Um, you know, they, they know that the Psalms are, have, are you know, God's inspired word and, and that they ought to get more of it, but, you know, somewhat indifferent to them. And I have to confess that I am a part of that latter group, somewhat indifferent to the Psalms. Now, thank God I'm coming closer to the first group as I study into it and look into it further. But I want to talk particularly to those of you today who maybe are a little bit like me, maybe just a little bit indifferent to the Psalms. We know <laughs> that the, the Psalms are the inspired Word of God, and so we dutifully struggle through them every once in a while. Sometimes we even try to study them, you know, to, to figure out the Psalms, to, to find those gems within the Psalms that we can take out and apply to our own lives. And those gems are in there, no question about it. But when I think about approaching the Psalms that way as a way of increasing my knowledge, I have to, to second-guess myself. I think that maybe that's not a very good way to approach the Psalms. Do, do any of you have a favorite poet? A lot of people have a favorite poet, somebody that just really speaks to your heart when you read their poetry. I know Becky, my wife, likes Robert Frost, among them others, but she really enjoys you know, stopping by the woods on a winter day. Robert Frost, you know, I mean, yeah, it's nice, but it doesn't do that much for me. But it does hurt, you know. The different poets do different things for different people, don't they? Many of you may have your favorite poet. Now, when you read a favorite poem of yours, do you take that poem and analyze it to death and rip it apart and try to figure out, you know, what this is? Probably you don't, unless you're in a literature class or something like that and you have to write a report. But usually you don't do that. Poetry, in our hearts, poetry are not, is not intended to work on a rational level. Right? Poetry is intended to speak to your heart in a way that really can't be very well put into rational thinking and rational words. I enjoy the, the, I think he's still the current poet laureate, the American poet laureate, Billy Collins. Becky introduced me to him. She got me a book. I've never been big into poetry, but when I started reading Billy Collins, I said, hey, I like this guy. Billy Collins is humorous and lighthearted, but at the same time, he's profound and uh, thought-provoking in what he says. In one of his poems, probably my favorite poem that he writes, he describes mourning. And he describes mourning as a little girl in a white cotton dress holding out to you a cup of sunshine and a handful of birdsong. 
You know, now that image did something for me. It may not do anything for you if you were to read the poem, but it might. But to me, it spoke to me. I fell in love with mourning in a whole new way because that poem transformed, transformed the way that I saw mourning a little bit. It transformed my vision of mourning. And that's what poetry does. Poetry transforms your vision. I can't analyze that image of that little girl holding out to me a cupful of sunshine and a handful of burnside. I don't sit there and say, you know, what did he mean by that? And, you know, what can I withdraw from this from my life? You know, I just absorb it. I appreciate it for what it is. I don't tear it apart. I don't theologize it. You let poetry move you in ways that you just might not quite comprehend. That's what poetry does. Now, the Psalms, since they're part of Scripture, they are, as Second Timothy says, useful for practical things like teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. That's what Timothy says all of Scripture is. And the Psalms are also that way. In fact, Jesus and the apostles used the Psalms that way a lot. A whole lot more than I think we do these days. But the Psalms have a different function also. It's true that the Psalms are God's word to us, but the Psalms are also our words to God. You and I are not the audience of the Psalms, are they? As we are for most of the Bible. You know, as when Paul wrote his letters, who did he write his letters to? God's church, us. He wrote those letters to us as God's word to us. When Moses wrote the stories of the Old Testament, who did he write the stories for? God? So he could remember what happened? Of course not. He wrote the stories so that we would remember God's mighty works. The prophets. When the prophets wrote the portions of Scripture that they wrote, warning us, they were written to us. The Psalms were written to God. Different way to look at the Psalms. But when you read some of the Psalms, what do you find sometimes? You find in the Psalms vindictiveness. You find even, frankly, unchristian behavior in the Bible. God's word to us and our word is to God. The Psalms talk about things like asking God to break the teeth of our enemies and to trample them underfoot. Does that sound very much like turn the other cheek to you? So what do we do with psalms like that? Well, first of all, you cannot read the psalms in the same way that you read the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says turn the other cheek. You can't read it the same way. You've got to read the psalms maybe in more the way that you read Job's three friends, or maybe Ecclesiastes. As I like the way that Philip Yancey puts it, as accurate records of misguided thinking. That's what it is, right? Accurate records of misguided thinking. The better way to read the Psalms, Philip Yancey, Philip Yancey is a Christian author, if you, if you didn't know who that was. The better way to read the Psalms, Yancey found for himself anyway, was to read them as though he was reading them over someone else's shoulder. Think about that. To read the Psalms as though you were reading them over someone else's shoulder because the Psalms are a kind of prayer journal. 
Someone speaking their heart to God and writing it out. And they didn't just write the joyful things. They wrote the painful things as well. Since the Psalms are not written to us, but to God, we must remember that we are reading the prayers of other people to God. And that's important when you read the Psalms. What would you think if, uh, if you... Do you, any of you keep a prayer journal where you actually write down your prayers? If you don't, you ought to try it sometime. There's something about praying and writing that changes the way you pray. But say you kept a prayer journal, and after you passed away, somebody got a hold of them and started to read your prayer journal. And they saw the things that you wrote to God. <laughs> now, besides maybe feeling somewhat embarrassed, if someone began to look at your, your prayer journal and began to analyze it and to tear it apart, you know, what did he mean here and how could he have said this? You know, what would you think of that person if you could think of that person? You think, well, he's kind of crazy, right? These are my prayers. I was talking to God. I wasn't trying to write some literary masterpiece. I wasn't trying to make any statements to somebody else. I wasn't trying to preach a sermon. I was praying. If someone were to read your prayer journal, probably the best thing that you would hope is maybe that they would gain something from it as they empathize with you. That you might feel their pain a little bit. You know, identify them with a, identify a little bit with them and that maybe your struggle would help them in their struggle. Somebody that would share your joy and your pain with you. That's the reason we tell someone that we trust, especially God, the things that are the deepest and the darkest within us. We need to be heard. We need to be understood. We need to share the weight of our feelings, whether positive or negative feelings. Unfortunately, though, we've gotten the idea that complaining to God, like they do in the Psalms, telling Him how you honestly feel, even if you're hurt or angry, is somehow a lack of faith. Like a relationship with God, if it isn't good and, and rosy and happy all the time isn't healthy, like, like you're, you're not a good enough Christian yet. We've somehow gotten that idea. If anything ever feels bad in us, that we don't trust God enough. Ladies, let me ask you something. When you talk to your husband, and you tell him things that deeply hurt you, Things that anger you. Are you telling him those things because you don't trust him? It's exactly the opposite, isn't it? You're telling him those things because you do trust him. That's what the authors of the Psalms were doing. They were talking honestly to a friend that they trusted. The best thing that we can do with the Psalms is to read them with empathy for the person writing it. Feel their pain with them. Be angry with them if necessary. Take that poetry that resonates with your own life, your own situation, and pray it. You know, God, I understand what he feels. You know, as a Christian, I don't want to feel those negative emotions of break my enemy's teeth. 
That goes contrary to what Jesus says we should feel about our enemies when he says love them, doesn't he? But you know what? As I was working on this message, maybe some of you have seen maybe the DVD uh, or the movie Matthew. It's a word-for-word movie of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's very powerfully done. And I was watching uh, the beginning of that while I was working on this, uh, or during the time I was working on this message, and I saw the, the part where Herod ordered the murder of the little boys in Bethlehem. Remember that? And the, the movie doesn't get graphic, but you see the bodies of little two-year-old boys lying in the street. You know, and I've got boys that age, and I was mad at Herod at that moment. And I thought about what I was working on right then. And I understood the Psalms. I understood where I would be screaming at God to do something to a man that could do something like that. Are those, Christ- those feelings unchristian? Well, according to Turn the Other Cheek, yeah. We see when we read the Psalms that we are not alone in the things that we struggle with. Even if it's temper, even if it's anger, even if it's pain, even if it's fear, we're not alone. We weren't the first to experience these things. We are reading the prayers, the inmost feelings of ordinary people who were trying to synchronize a life with God with what they are seeing around them, with what they're experiencing, what they believe about God and what they're actually seeing, a God of love, but a world in pain, trying to put those two things together and make it make sense. Philip Yancey says that the Psalms contain the anguished journals of people who want to believe in a loving, gracious, faithful God while the world is falling apart around them. The Psalms, I love this idea, the Psalms are expressing different moods of faith. Did you know that faith has different moods? You ever thought about that? We tend to think that faith is happy. Faith is strong. Faith can't be depressed, can it? How can there be moods of faith other than good ones? Faith isn't always strong. Faith is not always happy. Faith isn't always sunshine. What faith is, no matter what the mood, is God-centered. That's what faith is. Faith is God-centered, not only in the happy times, but in the ugly times as well. In the Psalms, we can experience with those who have gone before us the mountaintop experiences, you know, the joy, the elation, the beauty of life and of God's creation. But we also experience with them the pain and the fear and the hurt that goes along with life in a sin-filled world. The thing to keep in mind with the Psalms is that no matter the situation, good or bad, the authors of the Psalms kept God in the center of it all. The Psalms show, with no masks over top, what a heartfelt relationship with God looks like. And it's not always pretty. 
but it is always God-centered. The Psalms, really, if you think about it, are God's prescription for a complacent church. We often think that we're stuck alone with our negative feelings. And you know what? I think the devil loves that. That we have to deal with the things inside of us alone. That's wrong. We don't have to do that. That, in fact, drives us away from God into spiritual complacency. The Psalms are a prescription for a complacent church. Telling God how you feel, even if you're angry with Him, is not a lack of faith. It is not a lack of trust. It does not mean you are a bad Christian. In fact, it can be completely the opposite. Try to hide your feelings from God, who knows your feelings anyway. What is that? It's ridiculous. It makes us a hypocrite. To hide our feelings from God shows more of a lack of faith and trust than to speak them, than to say those things that we feel inside. Bringing our naked failures to God and telling Him how we feel is actually the sign of a healthy relationship with God. The Psalms, really, if you think about it, echo those words in the New Testament that mean so much to me. <laughs> Remember the man? Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, I don't believe. <laughs> I need some help with this. I want to believe. Help me. You know, I have a feeling that the Psalms mean a whole lot more to people that are suffering. The Psalms, when were the Psalms written, some of them? In times of fear, high stress, anger, hurt, all of these things. That's when the Psalms, many of the Psalms were written. And in good times, we are able to kind of skim over the Psalms pretty easily, to forget about them. You know, we don't identify with those terror-filled words. But there come times in our lives when we do identify. But the truth is, if we let the Psalms go in good times... We lose our ability to pray as well. The Psalms help us to understand that it is okay to open up to God with our honest feelings. And as we do that, He will speak to us in deeper and deeper ways. God can handle it. He can handle whatever you throw at Him. Just make sure that you're throwing it at Him. If we start throwing it at our fellow man, that's not going to work out the same way. That's not God-centered anger, is it? That's not God-centered fear. That's human-centered fear. God can handle it, and he wants to help you handle it. The Psalms can give us the words to pray, no matter what your situation. You can look through the Psalms and find where you are at today. If you're feeling joy, if you're feeling elation, pray that psalm. If you're feeling fear, find a psalm that has fear in it. Pray that psalm. Hurt, anger, whatever. Pray the psalms. I would like for us today 
just kind of an exercise in the Psalms to, to use one of the Psalms in the way that ancient Israel used to use it. As a congregation, and I didn't choose one of the vindictive ones, more or less, mostly not anyway, but one of the ones that were telling the story of creation and of the Exodus. Ever notice how often you see the Exodus mentioned throughout the scriptures coming out of Egypt? You know why that is. You've, for those of you that were here before, uh, when we spoke about Exodus, Exodus is a parallel to us, to our lives. Coming out of slavery to Egypt is a parallel of us coming out of slavery to sin. And as we read this psalm here together, let that go through your mind as that parallel of how this applies to you. And I'm not going to have you read, uh, read along with me. You have one line that you can respond to. And it is this, your love endures forever. Can you remember that? I'm going to read this psalm. I don't want you to read it with me. I want you to just listen and then respond with your love endures forever. Okay, this is the way that, that Israel at least used to do this psalm that I understand anyway. Okay, ready? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Say it out with me. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. His love endures forever. And brought Israel out. That's us. From among them. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. Baptism. His love endures forever and brought Israel through the midst of it. His love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever. To him who led his people through the desert, his love endures forever. What happens after baptism? You run into a desert. Who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. Og, king of the Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant, Israel, his love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our low estate, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. And who gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. Amen. You just prayed a song.
Thank you for joining Pastor Jeff Scoggins today for Worship in Spirit and Truth. We would love to hear your thoughts about the program, and your financial support is also greatly appreciated so that we can continue bringing you these kinds of programs. Tell your friends they can find the program Spirit and Truth right here on this station. Stay tuned for contact information and more details from your local station to follow. Until next time, keep your mind fixed on Jesus. This is Pastor Jeff Scoggins. Thank you for listening to Spirit and Truth. Often listeners contact me or the station wanting to know how to get a copy of a specific program or more information. All of these programs are archived as podcasts, and many of them are on video as well. You can find relevant links at my website, www.scoggins.biz. You will also find books and Bible study resources there as well. So if you didn't get to hear one of these programs all the way through or missed one in a series, you can find it by visiting scoggins.biz. That's S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S dot B-I-Z.